Welcome, one and all, to Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Star Trek universe community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Bonjour, Pete. There's no legacy as rich as honesty. Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 101, Remembrance, comes to you now via Fractal Neuronic Cloning. And just a bit of fleet news before we take off into this episode. Pete, you wouldn't believe it. There Patrick Stewart was on The View, sees Whoopi Goldberg, and all of a sudden struck by inspiration to officially ask for her to participate in season two. Well, listen, he, he did not decide. Even It was brand his... new, Pete. It was, it was the, at that <laughs> he... moment, lightning in the bottle. He lightened seeking the ground. Um, his his uh, it, he activated. Is is that what you're saying? Yes, this was a wholly original thing. <laughs> I saw it on social media. Uh, nobody had discussed it prior. Yeah, though no, obviously it was planned, but it was such a genuine moment, and uh, really, really glad that we're going to have Guinan come back to. Uh, Star Trek Picard back to Star Trek in general in season two. Thank goodness, Matt, season two has still not been canceled like some idiots maintain. Pete, weird subterfuge, according to the tinfoil hat wearing folks, uh, that <laughs> that the show is both. Pete, some of them even have said that the show has been canceled before season one, but uh, sticking to their guns that the show has been canceled. I will say this, Pete, less of those people this go around. I think that they're they're being uh, they're being silenced by the love of the show and the love of the current state. Uh, of Star Trek and excited for Whoopi to return for season two of Star Trek Picard. Also of note, albeit not Picard news, but Star Trek nonetheless, uh, Discovery season three, we have now officially upgraded to soon. Yes, coming soon. Uh, I read that as, you know, give or take whatever the whatever the middle Thursday is in May. That's where I would peg it. Um, uh, Pete, you know, uh, this is not a shot at CBS All Access, but, you know, there are 52 a week uh, service that has less than 52 weeks a year of content. I think they're going to want to have not just a month in between Picard and Discovery, but more than that so they could get you with another billing month. Probably throw a short trek in there. You know, I'm happy to pay for my Star Trek content. I'm happy to cancel the service when i'm not getting anything but uh you know middle of may means if you want to get that imagined short trek there's been no announcement yet but that imagined short trek in between uh picard and discovery you can get it and it could be there in april um but regardless i will take coming soon versus you know uh push let's say to the fall it might even be an opportunity for cbs all access to get its technical end together matt um, great content, abysmal service. I continue to receive fatal errors on my I- iPad. We've talked to other uh, listeners and viewers who have had similar technical problems. Well, with that, Pete, let's head into our mission briefing. Across the not-so-blue skies of space, the Enterprise D comes into view as the camera dollies into 10 forward, where Jean-Luc Picard 
and Data are playing poker. Picard believes he's detected a tell in Data's poker face that is actually an effort to trick him that he has a tell. He knows he's bluffing when he's not. As the game gets closer to a conclusion, Picard stalls by offering Data tea because he doesn't want the game to end. He's all in, and Data reveals a hand consisting of five queens. The Enterprise D here looking fantastic with its uh, gunmetal finish, you know, an ever so slight, uh, shall we say, I don't even want to say updating, slight refresh of how it appeared on the show all those years ago. Uh, but back inside 10 forward, Picard looking outside the window, they're outside Mars. He wasn't expecting the ship to be there. We see it suddenly on fire. An explosion rocks the ship and Picard wakes up. Uh, wakes up at home in his bedroom number one the dog barks uh, and picard steps into the day opening up the the curtain stepping out at chateau picard in france uh and then pete we now move away from france back to the night in the greater boston area where dodge is looking close into the eyes of her zahian boyfriend that's right pete zahian Yes, the race introduced in Star Trek Discovery further proof, Matt, that it's all part of one connected universe. <laughs> yes, dashing the hopes that there was a Discovery shiny light universe and that this somehow was back. Uh, side note, Pete. The, there is one universe. The, uh, the coolest hot take that I saw on social media about this episode was... I hope the people who run this could maybe help out Discovery. It's <laughs> the same people, by and large, you know. Oh, uh, anyhow, uh, Dodge says that she's got a secret. Pete, that's what's called irony, because she <laughs> says she's gotten to the Daystrom Institute, but she has other secrets that we are going to delve into in this episode, and dare say others. Uh, he goes to refill their drinks. There's a comment about her lame replicator lineup pete it's got the replicator beeps and bloops from tng but more importantly masked baddies beam in you know they're bad pete they're wearing black leather uh throwing a knife and killing the boyfriend r.i.p boyfriend we hardly knew ye don't even have a name for ye we do not have i think we just named him matt his uh the only other zahian we've ever met has this long name uh the queen of zahia on discovery uh known as poe you just named this character's name is ye <laughs> r.i.p ye um pete the attackers they speak something else than english saying speak english uh they do uh they note that she hasn't activated yet uh and ask where the others are a bag is put over her head and then she fights back uh through the bag killing the three uh, bag off her head she mourns her boyfriend then has flashity flash visions of Jean-Luc Picard we head into the title card here the obviously most unorthodox title sequence of any of the shows to date this named after a character and, and really you know in the twilight years of that character really really reminiscent of his journey um, some interesting images, obviously the Borg cube, and we'll get to that in a little bit. We'll also talk about 
maybe withholding in terms of uh, advertisement in the future. But uh, one thing that really, really stuck out with me, at one point we see uh, kind of a rounded cube shape, um, very, very reminiscent of the device that Data had on the next generation um, that uh, Tasha had recorded her, uh, her will on that he had in obviously the episode referenced within this episode, at least the character Bruce Maddox, the measure of a man from season two of the next generation. So everything's intentional, man. We've even been told about that name already intentional, um, but very, very interesting in the title sequence. This title sequence showing perhaps a smaller regular cast than I was expecting. Uh, this probably is just continuing the pattern of crediting those who only appear, which is a slightly more uh, modern thing. I don't know if it's streaming versus broadcast, but, you know, okay, that, that was surprising. I just mentioned it uh, in note. I felt overall, you know, it's a lovely uh, main title sequence. I found it a little underwhelming, but, you know, that's okay. Clearly it is. Clearly, it has the pace and tone that they uh, that they wanted. At Chateau Picard, number one brings his master a bone, and Picard speaks French. Romulan servants of ten years, Laris and Jabon, greet them. Laris notes that Picard talk rubbish in his anguished sleep. He notes that his dreams are lovely. It's the waking up he's beginning to resent. But it's a big day at Chateau Picard, so he better get breakfast. Inside, number one won't take breakfast from Jabon. All dogs, it seems. Picard orders Earl Grey decaf from the replicator. And he is preparing for an interview that day. And the first guest has arrived. Have to note, Pete, that Laris uh has of course uh the the romulan eyebrows and ears but not the prominent next generation forehead whereas jaban does pete how can this be oh wait there could just be different ethnicities of romulans and that's okay i love it up front the show is just saying hey the ones you like you saw in the movies and classic trek the ones you saw in next generation all romulans pete no remans maybe that's for a later story i don't know um, I will mention, by the way, Picard dressing in his, not his, but in an old style suit and tie. But Pete got that suit jacket collar popped up. That's how you know it's La Futura. Um, and we also have the line from Laris that some have forgotten, but we, meaning the Romulans, have not. Jabon has gone over the terms with the interviewer three times. That's not going to stop her from breaking them in a little bit and assured that she will not inquire about Picard's separation with Starfleet. Laris, as you mentioned, makes that assurance there uh, that uh, they haven't forgotten. And Jabon encourages Picard to be the captain, they, meaning the universe remembers and kind of astonishing to pause for a moment and realize that we've gotten so much exposition so much update on this character so far We're about to get more of course in the interview but so much has been given to us in a smooth style you know we've had 
what happened at Mars. Oh, wait, it was a dream. We're about to lead into that. The updates here of, you know, no questions about leaving Starfleet. Hey, that means he's not in Starfleet anymore. And of course, his time in Chateau Picard, what he does now and things like that. I think if there are reviews of this episode that say, oh, it's it's slow, I would disagree as to the pace. It's just created to be this smooth, smooth sip o wine. Uh, but Pete, we head into that interview. It's the anniversary of the Romulan supernova. Uh, the interviewer is appreciative to have been granted the rare interview. And Picard talks about his passion of the Romulan issue. Uh, he's not going to talk about his feelings regarding the Romulan supernova and explained uh, explains rather that once the Romulans asked for help, the Federation decided that they needed to give help, even though some disagreed. Yes, his persuasion was obviously key there. Laris and Jabon are watching the interview on a holographic uh, stream in the kitchen as the interviewer, known only in the subtitles there as Richter, uh, remarks that there were people that felt there were better uses of the resources than to help their oldest enemy. And uh, she says, you know, uh, that uh, there were Romulan lives here. And Picard corrects her. It was not Romulan lives at stake, simply lives. Uh, he had uh, he had put together a rescue armada out to save 900 million of those lives in an effort that was like Dunkirk. And it's only on second viewing. Uh, and of course, in a bit, Picard will suggest she has no idea what that is. But it's only on second viewing where her reaction is kind of, we've all been there, Pete, where somebody <laughs> says a thing and you don't know what it is. And you say, uh-huh. Yes. Fractal yes. cloning. Uh-huh. Trigonometry. Yes. <laughs> Algebra. Richter then inquires about the unimaginable events that happen next. She railroads him, Matt, with her recap about a group of rogue synthetics that dropped Mars's planetary defense shield and hacked its defense net, wiping out the rescue armada and completely destroying the Utopia Planitia shipyard. The explosions ignited the flammable vapors in the stratosphere where they still burn. 92,143 lives lost and a ban on synthetics. That number jumped up quite a bit since the live estimates with the children's of children of Mars uh, stream. But Picard confirms that they still don't know why the synthetics went rogue that day, but he believes that the subsequent ban was a mistake. Yes, and specifically about uh, his, nay, our favorite synth. He says that he never lost faith against Data. What he did lose faith in uh, was Starfleet, proven by the fact that that's why he uh, he quit Starfleet, because indeed it was no longer Starfleet. Uh, the group had slunk back from its duties, leading, he wonders, to perhaps to criminal negligence. Uh, and then he adds, she has no sense of history. Uh, this is where he... He deploys the fact that clearly she did not know the Dunkirk reference. He ends the interview, and uh, Pete, this has been watched the entire time elsewhere by Dodge, who sees it playing. On a rainy street there, uh, as Picard pets number one, Dodge comes to see him asking if he 
knows her. He says no, but Dodge knows that he's not sure somehow. She explains the attack in her apartment like lightning seeking the ground and her vision of him. Everything inside of her, she says, says she's safe with him. Later, Lars fixes her head wound with a dermal regenerator. Javon gives her a blanket and Picard's Earl Grey never fails. Uh, to this point, the pa- Picard notes her very, extremely unique necklace. It is, of course, two interlocking circles. Uh, never before has one seen such a symbol. They are uh, already for sale, Matt. <laughs> there are already people peddling these well, online. I've seen at least two examples. Well, Pete, I'll just mention anecdotally, my parents have a little wall decoration uh, that I think they got around the time of their marriage, which is uh, it's two circles and then two descending lines meant to be the two of them. And then somewhere there's a cross or there's a third one meant to be God. So, Pete, if my parents have the two circles thing on their wall, am I somehow a synthetic android as well? Or my memories of my parents true? I don't know. Mine do as well. Does that make us twin sisters? <laughs> uh, it just might, although I dare say neither of us look, uh, shall we say, look the way Dodge does. Definitely not. Um, but uh, Dodge here ponders being a stranger to herself. Picard says he's been there too. My goodness, Pete, Locutus. Uh, I'm talking about the time he spent in the flute playing story, uh, all those, you know, all. Those two adventures alone, he has been a stranger to himself. Uh, however, she senses that she knows him. And uh, Picard says that she's no threat. After all, number one would have caught that. Uh, and she's given a room at the chateau in order to get a good night's sleep. The next day, Picard awakes, apparently, seeing Data painting in the fields. Pete, they're both in those TNG era uniforms. Nay, seasons three through seven. I'm talking about the wool ones. No latex here. Thank you very much. Um, geek rant over data is painting a woman by the water, uh, incomplete, no face and wonders if Picard won't finish it. Data says that he's capable of doing that despite Picard's insistence. He can't. And then he awakens from the dream and finds the painting in his study. And Laris tells him Dodge has left. With that, Picard goes to San Francisco Side note, it's Star Trek. He's in France. He just goes to San Francisco as one does. No need yet for the uh, shot from the trailer of the uh, presumably public transportation transporters. Uh, He heads to Starfleet Archives, uh, and it's confirmed via dialogue that he's headed to the Quantum Archives. Everything there is in stasis. Uh, The lady, about to be revealed as an index computer hologram, walks with him only so far, then she turns herself off proving that she's an index computer. Uh, Pete, that's when Picard goes into his room of nostalgic recreations. I'm talking, you got some Klingon blades. I'm talking the uh, captain's yacht from the movies. I'm Mm -hmm. talking the Stargazer model, a D model. Uh, Happy uh, Captain Enterprise D model, Matt. We need to be completely clear on the type of model and maintain our Apple Podcasts uh, rating. Absolutely. It's all, you know, it's all chock full of goodies from uh, Star Trek's of the past. Yes. Uh, the, the Captain Picard Day banner got me in particular. Um, but through replicator slash holographic 
box here and then pulled off it beneath we find the painting this one with dodge's face finished on there he calls for the index that identifies the item as 227.67 oil on canvas painted by commander data circa 2369 one of a set of two gifted to him on the enterprise the other hanging on his study wall no one has been in here the index confirms not even for servicing and uh that the painting had a title it is called simply daughter two quick thoughts here pete the first one not quite sure why this painting has an item number that requires uh both the 10th and 100th column past the decimal point one could just think that each item could get a whole number but i digress i mean this is star trek whatever techity tech to the tech uh, a bit more concrete as you mentioned this uh, painting painted in 2369 that would correlate to the sixth season of the next generation we will return to that date in a little bit to paris matt because the Eiffel Tower, and on a street there, Dodge takes her hood off, and she hollow phones home where she reaches bomb, or does she? Tells her that someone has tried to kill her, thinks that they're still after her, um, and her mother tells her she needs to get someplace safe, but she's tried. She doesn't want to put anyone else in danger. You have to go back to Picard, honey. No, it's too dangerous. Picard, I, I, I didn't tell you about Picard, mom, who the back of your head on the hollow device is bald. <laughs> uh, this moment of, but wait, I never mentioned Picard. Maybe, maybe the only uh, threadbare moment in this script. Um, but mom says, find Picard, close your eyes and focus. Uh, Dodge does. And with that, she also hacks the system. Uh, there's all sorts of bleeps and bloops. We're going to find out uh, in a little bit. She's definitely hacking Starfleet and secure areas of, of I was going to say the internet, but you know, of computer land. Um, and she sees that Picard is in San Francisco and she meets him there right outside the Anaheim convention. I mean, right there in San Francisco, <laughs> a fountain, Matt, Out outside a fountain, <laughs> outside a fountain that in no way is uh, right outside the Anaheim convention center. However, let's not forget big thank you to the taxpayers of California who put forth literally tens of millions of dollars to make this show happen in tax credits. Uh, so to those of you enjoying it uh, in California, thanks for paying it, paying for it through taxes and CBS All Access's monthly fee. Um, but more importantly, Pete, Dodge and Picard step away. Picard has a theory. It's kind of more of a connecting of dots for her than for us, but also a way to keep, you know, to keep everybody on board here. Data the android was a Starfleet officer. Uh, Data is perhaps her father. She says no way, but for him to be tracked to San Francisco, she doesn't have the security clearance to track him. Uh, then, Pete, she gives us background on who she believes her father is. Can you highlight that for us? Because I think it's going to come back in future episodes. She was born in Seattle. At least she believes that, um, despite her ability to hear conversations down the street now and all the other things kicking in. Her father, a xenobotanist, a house full of orchids, spliced genuses, and named the offspring after uh, her. 
Orchidae, Orchidaceae Dodge Oncidium, yellow and pink. Um, Want to note that the painting that uh, Picard had seen before we got the year circa uh, 2369 before, Picard said 30 years ago. So we now have a definitive date on this. We don't have a star date yet, but that's just a matter of math that I'm not going to do. It's 2399. On the dawn of the 25th century, Pete, a very touching takeaway from this scene when Picard says that if all of this is true, then she, Dodge, is dear to him in ways that she can't quite understand. Uh, and indeed, uh, she may be the daughter of a man who is all meaning and all courage and a really heartfelt moment there. And Pete, after all this talky talk stuff, can something happen to, to spring us forth into some, you know, good old fashioned shoot 'em up Star Trek run and gun action? Uh, hang on, Matt. They're here. Who's here, Pete? They. Uh, Dodge races upstairs. Pete, shall we all age? Does it happen? Jean-Luc Picard has aged. He's a little slow to follow up those stairs. Can't someone help him, please? Uh, on a rooftop, more masked baddies beam in. Same black outfit as before. Uh, she quickly takes out two, then a number more, super leaping at one point to get them. Oh, so great. <laughs> it really, really was. Um, and interestingly, I don't know if the show is going to make any hay of this, but as one of them gets kicked down the uh, down the stairway, uh -huh. uh, he's beamed away. Um, yes, we've already had our first uh, accusation, Matt, that a uh, an, an android, a flesh and blood android, with super strength and reflexes is a quote Mary Sue by the haters. So they went after Ray, they went after Dodge, they'd probably go after their own mothers. Wasn't there a female android when in the episode with Lal that probably was like 1990? How can another one and Data's desire to be more human and propagate? Don't stop making sense. Stop making sense. Computer Arch, I want out of this. <laughs> whatever uh please remove the character of angry uh angry yeller guy um anyhow uh another uh dying perhaps uh baddie spits on her or maybe it's blood pete maybe there's a capsule in there debate uh, i think we've confirmed the alien universe crossover it, it seems acidic although you're right the guy dies after he spits it. So maybe a little something, something added to it gets the rifle gets her and Picard watches in horror as they explode, sending him back and really, really shocking that Picard would, uh, would witness and be propelled from that in such a way. And I think worth pointing out that, uh, because I think it's not, totally clear on first viewing uh the, it, the the timeline of the explosion is this it appears the acid on the rifle causes the rifle to explode so it's not that the acid is explosive it's not that she uh she explodes from it it, it appears to be the rifle that does it and i'll mention this pete quick what i'm assuming is an effect shot if not an effect shot then certainly uh, a stunt double but the way in which picard the character regardless of how he's being generated on screen the way picard the character gets thrown back mm -hmm. i think the mind can only think back to 
a minute earlier when he was having trouble to yeah. go up the stairs. And it's just this, you know, it's just terrible to see somebody of Picard's age thrown like that. Luckily, you know, a 24th, nay, 20, near 25th century uh, medicine. He's going to wake up. He's okay, but not before Pete. In case you fell asleep partway through, he sees flashes of previously on Star Trek Picard, you know, in the last 20 minutes. Yes, the poker dream, Dodge's arrival, the painting dream, uh, him telling uh, Dodge he would never leave her, the interview, and the daughter reference before awaking to see Lars Jabon, number one. He's all right. Uh, I took a bad knock, but otherwise he is the same. He tells them Dodge is dead. The police, Jabon tells him, didn't mention her, said he was alone when they found him on the roof. They said no one else was on the security feed. She could have had a cloaking device. That's why we didn't see her on the property feeds. Maybe it automatically activated when she was in danger. But she was indeed synthetic, as Picard notes, the assassins or Romulan. And he says this to two Romulans. Uh, he also ultimately blames himself sitting home all these years. He says he hasn't been living. He's been waiting to die. And that one cuts deep. Uh, he goes to the Daystrom Institute in Okinawa, Japan, meets Dr. Gerardi. He asks her about creating a sentient android out of flesh and blood. She laughs him off. Pete, that's the way that the episode, nearing its last you know, eight minutes or so, is keeping things moving by showing what a ridiculous question it is. But she sees that he's dead serious. Uh, and she reiterates, no way, no how, not in a thousand years. And then the great line that perhaps could only be delivered by Patrick Stewart. Mm -hmm. He dryly notes that uh, that's odd since he had tea with one. Yes, and she recaps here that it was the grand slam of science. Sentient synthetics that appeared human inside and out, kind of like Cylons, Matt. And they have a plan. They had a plan. But it feels like a lifetime ago now. She opens the empty lab, a ghost town, as Picard notes, what's left of the Federation's division of advanced synthetic research. The androids who destroyed Mars came from that lab and now they're not even allowed to operate other than in theory they can study they can publish they can run simulations pete to do more would be a violation of galactic treaty just so you're clear that it's not just the federation it's you know it's all sorts of a peoples presumably and anybody who would be fooling with that stuff pete they'd be in violation of the galactic treaty uh, what we get next is, uh, her opening up the drawer. Uh, the, it's the B4 Android, which it's a B4 is specifically noted in dialogue. And I think that's something we'll need to return to. Well, true. I would argue that just because of the dialogue that then occurs, which is, uh, that this one was given the, the copy of data's consciousness. Most of it was lost. You know, this at the end of, uh, the end of the, the last film. Uh, you know, the last Next Generation film, that is to say, uh, I kind of read it as as that particular B4. Regardless, I know at the end of Nemesis, I did not like the fact that they both killed off Data, which had emotional resonance, and brought him back through copy-paste, which took away the emotional resonance. 
I'm realizing now too, Pete, another space movie kind of sort of did that. Um, but I think did it more effectively this past year. Um, but I like here that they're saying, nope, the notion that, and then the data copy went, everything was fine and there were no stakes. Like, no, they lost data and that was it. Uh, that much is made very clear here because Pete, no other synth was like data. All right. That's it for the references to the next generation. Right, Pete? I mean, listen, 2002's The Wrath of Khan, I mean, Star Trek Nemesis had some issues. Um, but taking what they have to build upon here, you pull B4 out of the drawer here, the inferiority of him noted, the uh, attempt of Data to uh, download his neural net, almost all of it was lost. Not all of it, Matt, almost all of it. But he wasn't much like Data at all. In fact, no other synth has been, and no one has ever been able to develop the science used to create data. And then came Bruce. Bruce who? Bruce Maddox, Matt. And I know I said it on Twitter, Pete, but I'll repeat it for people who don't, you know, uh, read every tweet that gets put out there. I just had this data-like moment where as soon as Bruce Maddox was mentioned, it was like, my brain just was like accessing, accessing. Ah, yes, measure a man. I can see the guy's face. I can hear the timbre of his voice. I can see his uniform. I can see how it, you know, it was from the latex arrow. And it was just it's the whole thing. Army, that expression on him calling data it. it. Yes. Um, and it was, it was just this really weird moment where this was not a, this was not a deep cut for me. And I'm, I'm sure for so many people, um, cause you know, measure of a man was not on the rewatch list that was on Twitter right. and so on and so forth. I don't think they wanted to, uh, show their hand. Right. And, but, but I mean, it was just boom, immediately it was there as though I had seen it yesterday. Um, but anyhow, Bruce Maddox, as you said, Pete, he tried to, to make a copy, he tried to make another synthetic, uh, and he just up and disappeared after the ban something I did not catch on first viewing. And believe me, Pete, I was not doing anything other than watching this episode very carefully on first viewing. Um, and we're going to return to that in a bit. Uh, there is, though, the added info that any new synth would have to be created with Data's neurons, and they died with him. Yes, you know, almost all of it lost died with him. Not all of it was lost, so... You're saying there's a chance and we have Dodge and in a little bit, we'll, we'll have a twin, but, um, this is the no that Dr. Agnes Girardi has promised Picard they would return to. And then he produces the necklace and she needs to take a seat because she wishes that he had not brought this remnant of his tea drinking companion um, the day she's not off from work. Pete, she of course recognizes the symbol on that necklace as the symbol of fractal neuronic cloning. All it would take is one little part of data. It's, it's his essence. Uh, Mad Maddox may have modeled her in fact on data's painting. Uh, them? Yes, says Gerardi, because they come in pairs. Yes. So there's another one. And then we transition from the necklace to space, the two interlocking circles visible behind a Romulan ship as it heads into a pair of force fields 
of Romulan reclamation site. And then a bearded Romulan is scanned in slow motion before addressing Dr. Asha, which is Dash's twin. Uh, the Romulan bearded gentleman is identified as Narek. Side note, Pete, uh, me personally, I would not have used the long shot with him lit from behind because to see this uh, dark-haired gentleman with a beard and pointy ears, I was like, oh my goodness, it's it's Spock from Discovery. Uh, but of course, that's my own little nerd moment there. Uh, Narek has questions for her. Soji, by the way, please. She need not be called Dr. Asha, she tells him. Uh, that's when he notices her fiddling with her necklace. She says it was made by her father. Uh, her twin has one. Pete, with that, Narek looks away and says he had a brother. Once he's gone now, gone since last year, sa sadly staring into space. I hope we get more story there, because he's very sad, Pete. Yes, and the last thing he guesses that she wants is to hear a sad story after her days fixing broken people. Guess again. The uh, camera then starts to pull back. They stare at each other because they know that they're at end of episode. Look carefully, Pete. There's Borg uh, recharging stations there in the way background. The camera pulls back and back and back, even as more Romulan ships take off. Uh, Pete, you'd never guess it because you've never seen a stinking preview for Star Trek Picard. It's a Borg cube to end the episode. Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. Sure makes me glad that we're not on or above the planet Mars. Let's start this threat analysis with the Romulans. Yeah, it's really difficult to do this segment because though we have black helmeted, black leather wearing baddies, one speaks in an alien language. We never know definitively that that's Romulan. We have a Romulan visible from the ears that Picard sees at the bottom of the stairs. Um, are these Romulans at the reclamation site bad? Are, are they doing good work with the Borg? I mean, so much is up in the air, but, you know, as, as Heather Caden uh, said they, uh, they they wanted to end it in such a way that made you want to watch more. Yeah, and I think that through the length of this episode, we can definitively say that they are Romulans. Now, if you tell me they are actually whatever, Bajorans uh, surgically altered to look Romulan, okay, you can do that in another episode. You want to tell me they are Romulan separatists that don't reflect the good Ones like Narek, who stare off in the distance, sadly. Uh, there's room for that. But in the body of this episode, with the information that we have, I mean, how many pointy-ear, green-skin, uh, aggression-showing, alien-language-speaking <laughs> does not cling on, and to my ears, not Vulcan, although we've heard a whole lot less of the Vulcan language. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're Romulan. They're Romulan thus far. Yeah, and... It remains to be seen again with what went on with the Romulan supernova, the plan to relocate 900 million 
people amongst 10,000 warp capable fairies. And it all went for nothing because of what happened with the rogue since. So this is the tip of the iceberg. We don't yet know what is beneath it as far as whatever dastardly plan. Um, But I think within this, Matt, Starfleet, because of the way that Picard feels and the way that it has really shirked its responsibilities, retreating back is a threat as well. Yes, this is certainly uh, not Starfleet at its best. Of course, the Starfleet of 10 years ago, nine years ago, eight years ago, as, as the aftermath continued to unfold as Picard uh, resigned his commission. Uh, and I know that this is a different kind of Star Trek show, and this is not you know Picard as a Starfleet member, but even on top of that, kind of Starfleet, Starfleet and its actions uh, glaringly uh, omitted in this episode, and I think rightly on this on this list of threats, um, just because you have a Starfleet, my goodness, Pete, you have a Starfleet that does not meet the the, the moral standards of Jean Luc Picard. That's good enough for me to have Starfleet on the threat list. And for this pilot, okay, to not show you one Starfleet active member. I think is definitely a statement. So Gerardi said that she was recruited by Bruce Maddox out of Starfleet, meaning she served at one point, Um, but a very, very interesting choice. And I think one made intentionally. And obviously you're excluding the extras in uniforms in the background. Yes. We're meeting, you know, characters having an impact on the character, you know, Ensign Mukibak of the planet, whatever. Pete, we have some theories on long-range sensors, and let's start with Bruce Maddox, okay? The the character first mentioned as, you know, red meat for the diehard fans, but then this notion of he disappeared. Mm-hmm. Wait, where have these twins come from? Who is their father? I mean, it's meant to, we're meant to think data, but somebody must have done the actual creation uh bruce maddox has to return around episode 104 right we are told that when they use a reference that it is intentional and there's payoff and they're not going to use throwaway things so um get ready to welcome bruce maddox back actor brian brophy Yes, Pete. In the real world, Brian Brophy now is involved at the uh, with the dramatic uh, department at uh, Caltech. Uh, and somebody, you look over his IMDb. Complete respect to the guy. I would propose his acting career maybe did not go the way he would have hoped. Uh, I was surprised to see, given the potency of his performance in Measure of a Man, that was his like second or third acting credit, uh, and certainly his most prominent. Uh, but you have to think that he's going to get his ticket punched for this season. People have already gone to IMDb and said, well, he doesn't appear there, therefore he's not in it. It's not complete. (laughs) Right. I mean, IMDb usually gets updated a couple of days after an episode airs, so that's not your smoking gun of his absence. It's not. 
the five queens in the dream, Matt. Four other Borg queens confirmed. <laughs> um, I don't know how deep to read into that. I mean, other than you can't have five queens, so that's proof of the of the 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 error, if you will. You know, you can get four of a kind, you can't get five. Um, I don't know, Pete. We'll, we can keep tugging on this. Two of them were hearts. Two hearts. Picard has had two hearts. The original ones. And that one. I don't know, but uh, but but there's going to get a new heart from one of the five Borg queens. I can see it happening now. <laughs> Let's dig here into the synth attack uh, because I think, to me, Pete, the question is this: which power perpetrated it? Uh, it's, it seems too good to be true from a story perspective that they just went crazy right. at that particular moment, thereby preventing the Federation from helping the Romulans. So a couple of options. I want to hear your thoughts here. Was it an inside job? Did the Federation, you know, cut itself off at the knees so as to not help the other? Was it somehow romulans trying to prevent it like we don't want most romulans playing with the federation we need to right. stay hashtag romulan pure what is it the the false flag idea um to me what feels you know very possible the idea that lore may have somehow had some influence with these synthetics um, the last we saw him in uh, season seven of the next generation descent part two uh, data blasts him and we're told he's disassembled. OK. And, and again, there's, there's a variety of different ways you could go. But, you know, seems nothing clear at this point. And they're they're playing their five queens close to their chest. Matt, the interview that was conducted and the railroading and the trickery, let's talk real world ramifications. You get to do that once to an interview source and then never again. And obviously it was the shock value and the only ever interview he's ever given to do that. But let's just say that Richter is never going to be interviewing Jean-Luc Picard, anyone in his circle ever again. I think particularly given the, the sanctity that it appears the Federation has for Picard. Uh, and indeed there's probably people that are like, Oh, he made the wrong choice for going after the Romulans, but at least he gave the respect to uh, resign quietly. And, you know, people could infer what they wanted to infer, but he didn't make a big deal of it. Um, one just imagines that she has widely, Everyone feels that she has widely disrespected this figure that all can agree. Uh, Pete, I wonder if maybe by the end of the season, maybe by the end of the series, all can agree uh, he's elected Federation president or something like that. Just wanted to get that theory in. Uh, but what's next on your list? So you had mentioned that perhaps Maddox is the father to the daughter. Uh, I am, am team data here. And yes, he, he had a daughter. He had a daughter in law. Um, but you know, the, the resemblances are, are very close and, uh, obviously another shout out there to the next generation. Well, and Pete, uh, this might sound like a little joke. I don't mean this as a joke at all, particularly since it's Star Trek here. Can't Soji and Dodge have two fathers, you know, I mean, can't they have two dads? Right. One is data 
with the technical DNA and one is an adoptive father in terms of Bruce, you know, doing the adopting the creation, you know, you kind of, I'm sure you understand the seam here of synthetic and real in terms of the analogy, but it would be so very Star Trek to say, hey, Soji, you have two dads. How about the new GPS, Matt? That's right. I'm talking about the global Picard search. Uh, to what do you refer? Well, you know, you just make some hand motions there once you've activated and uh, you can find him anywhere on the planet. Well, to be fair, uh, the story qualified that by saying it's near impossible what you did. Nobody has that security clearance or, you know, not, not literally nobody, but certainly not she. Um, I think that that's a scene that goes by very, very quickly, maybe slightly underserved by the. Uh, you know, we see the text backwards. We don't see it from her perspective uh, completely or for long enough to be like, oh, she's breaking into Starfleet security waves or whatever it might be. Um, but I feel it was explained satisfactorily that what she did, while technically possible, was so extraordinary as to feed the theory that she's synthetic. So Dodge had just been accepted into the Daystrom Institute as a research fellow, artificial intelligence also quantum consciousness matt was her acceptance some kind of way to lure her out into the public that had crossed my mind uh, i would not exclude it particularly if i and we are correct that you're going to have bruce maddox return in some sort of dramatic reveal uh he may be skulking around okinawa and dr gerardi will say Bruce, Bruce Maddox, you are back. Um, so it could be his machinations. Uh, I have to imagine, I mean, look, could it be coincidence and that we're just setting up Daystrom Institute? Hey, we've heard of this before, and then we go there later. Maybe, but it is kind of stronger to have the conspiracy aspect to it. Laris and Jabon uh, recovering Picard after the events in San Francisco clearly makes sense, but you have to wonder beyond being his employees, are they there in some kind of other capacity? Have they been placed as watchers? Are they Tal Shiar? What's going on there? I just read it as, and again, it's a little difficult in this Star Trek world of, you know, they're obviously not there for pay because it's earth and it's this, this Eden like existence. But I think that they choose to be there. They choose to serve him in recognition of all that he did for their people and the particulars of, you know, what happens twice a month that nobody gets paid anymore. You just go to the replicator and get whatever you want. Uh, that's kind of secondary. But I think that story-wise, it's hammering home the great above and beyond service that he was, uh, that he was doing for the Romulan people. Dr. Girardi tells us that not in a thousand years would they, or not for a thousand years, would they be ready to uh, create a sentient blood and uh, flesh um, android. What about in 930 years, Matt? Or, you know, we'll do the math there, 800 some odd years from when we are in Discovery Season 3. Um, I would not exclude the possibility of that sort of uh, soft crossover, if you will. I mean, we had it, if you will, we had it with the Zahian boyfriend here. Uh, you want to tell me that when Discovery arrives uh, in the future in season three, that they come across 
uh, you know, normal everyday synthetics that are welcomed and appreciated and that sort of thing. To me, it would be very, very Star Trek and be this kind of background knitting of the two shows. No one makes synths anymore of any kind. It's a galactic treaty. What about the Borg, Matt? They're really big in the galactic treaty, right? Well, obviously, obviously the show very out there with the Borg or former Borg or whatever it might be playing some sort of role. Forg. Uh, Forg. Is I former will, Borg. I will be surprised if we get, you know, oh no, now the cube is no longer under Romulan control and it's the Borg are back, the Borg are back. Uh, wouldn't exclude it, but I would be surprised if they go there. Uh, but certainly whatever remnants there are of that cube, whoever's whatever faction of the Romulans are there, um, one certainly gets the, the sense that they're operating uh, outside of galactic norms. So what's up with this Romulan reclamation site? You know, I, I guess the superimposed of captured Borg cube would have been less of a reveal. Yeah, I mean, again, the show is operating in this, it's operating in a first view blind uh, presentation. Uh, but of course, they've taken footage of the cube and already shown it at San Diego, at New York, on YouTube, etc. Uh, they've incorporated it into the credits, which if you didn't know there was going to be Borg at all, would it have fully read as a cube? A board cube, maybe, maybe not, but the script is prepared to just knock your socks off that there's going to be Borg somehow in this show, and they've been leading with that for six months, eight months. So a little disconnect there. I mean, it's not the fault of the episode that it then got marketed that way, but you just wonder at what point somebody in charge says, hey, marketing department, no, you can't Hold do this that. this one back. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did the Romulans get a Borg cube to reclaim. Uh, I hope that that is something that gets answered in short order. I mean, every time there's been a Borg attack, there's been a huge explosion, right? Um, that's not to say that, you know, Federation, you never knew about the incursion into uh, Romulan space and how we barely had our own uh, victory. You know, we had our own Wolf 359 and... Uh, all our ships there were destroyed, but the, the cube didn't explode. It just had a big chunk taken out of it. You know, it's not, I, Pete, I think in three lines you could quickly explain it and bing, bang, boom, move on with the plot. What about Narek's brother? You know, the one, not a twin, that he was last year. Um, I'm going to put out a theory, Pete, and I have not read a bit about the second episode. I know they they screened the first three in Los Angeles and London. Uh, I'm going to bet that our post, uh, pardon me, our pre-credit portion of the story for next week, it's, you know, boys laughing and playing. Wait, they have pointy ears. Look, they're playing ball game, you know, and then montage of uh, Romulan high school graduation. And then more recently, no, brother, as there's an explosion or a rock climbing accident or something like that. Boom, cut to modern day uh, Narek still looking in the distance, then saying, oh, Pardon me, uh, Doctor. I will now tell you more. Um, I expect we're going to get that pretty soon. Can't wait to watch it. With that, Pete, let's go to Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. 
Pete, we ran a poll on Twitter, and I know for some people, the emojis didn't come through. I saw the yellow dots. I'm like, hey, they're rank pips, but it was 4-3, 2-1. Uh, the episode getting uh, no votes for one pip, 3.7 for two, none for three, and Pete, genuinely the highest number that we've ever seen, 96.3% of people in the poll gave Take this. Take that, Entertainment Weekly Monthly. <laughs> yeah, Entertainment Weekly with its epically bad uh, review of the show. Uh, some tweets here. First one from Annie Harrington. That's any time left. Uh, the Ready Room with Will Wheaton was great, too. He asked such great questions. This is my favorite after show iteration yet. Pete, hopefully we are her second favorite after show iteration. <laughs> um, and then uh, she also says of the episode in general, I loved it. Can't wait for more. I'm worried about Jordy, though. The Countdown prequel comic placed him on Utopia Planitia running the rescue fleet build. I hope he was on Earth for a meeting or something during the attack. Pete, this the worst news I got all week. <laughs> he definitely made it out. They're not killing Jordy off screen. Uh, and then a series of tweets here from Jesse. That's at J-W-E a lot. Uh, Remembrance was amazing. Seeing these characters again brought out all the feels, yet the episode didn't require the nostalgic eminence to carry, uh, elements to carry the story. I love this new storyline, and I'm so glad to see it unfold. It was the perfect mix of old and new. Uh, also, I really enjoyed the new characters. With all the hype that Picard, Data, Seven, Riker, and Troy uh, are getting for returning, I didn't give the new characters much thought. Now that I've met them, I can't wait to get to know them more. Also, is anyone else intrigued about the disappearance of Bruce Maddox? This is just one of many fun mysteries the episode set up, and I can't wait to get those answers. Pete, next tweet from Jamie Piper, longtime listener of a variety of our podcasts. I'm overjoyed at the episode. So great from start to finish. TNG is my favorite TV of all time. Watching Picard was like going home for Christmas. Make it ho, ho, ho. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Pete, what do you have on Facebook? Robert T. Frost writes in the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. Star Trek Picard Episode 1, First Impressions. I absolutely love the title sequence. Jeff Russo captured the essence of Jean-Luc Picard, the wistfulness of what once was, of what might have been, along with hints of a deep sleeping strength and what could be. The opening scenes are fantastic. The apartment fight was excellently choreographed. That joined with the rooftop fight should quiet any fears that the show wouldn't have any real action. But what got me invested in the show was Picard's interview. When after the interviewer emphasize, emphasizes Romulan lives, Jean-Luc corrects her with no lives. Then what sealed the deal, at least for me, was when he schools her by informing her that a better analogy for the rescue armada was Dunkirk. I am all in good, bad, or indifferent. This is going to be a long week. Your friend. Bob. And I think Bob hammering home the most Star Trek thing of this episode, which is the idea of compassion, the idea of working to help others. Yes, it's got echoes of All Lives Matter. Yes, it's got echoes of refugees uh, and giving them a place in this safe port, etc. But I don't think they put those things in there to sit and go, ah, we're going to get you if you have the blue flag. We're going to get you if you're, you know, anti this group, anti that group. It's the Star Trek idea of doing the right thing to help those in need in the best way that you can. 
We've only had that for almost 54 years, Matt. To Apple Podcasts, where we have a pair of reviews left for Picard, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek. The first from JTA is me. The headline reads, Admirable like the Admiral, five stars. And it says, Trek no stars without making your crew include Matt and Pete. Give them a try and you'll discover that they truly have been and always shall be your friend. Well done there, JTA. Thank you for that great review. Anything else, Pete? Also, Killen 9 leaving a review titled Engage, five stars. And it reads, Matt and Pete are perfect as per usual. The reason, the joy, the humor. It's like they think we're supposed to enjoy things. I never miss an episode. Don't miss out. <laughs> yes, it's okay to enjoy the shows. You don't need to, not not talking to Jay Killen here, of course, just in general, we don't need to be constantly gnashing our teeth with nitpicking. It's okay to have fun with these shows. And I think this is a show built to engage the mind, engage the, the senses with laser fights, etc. And uh, thank you for those kind words. Pete, let's head to the email inbox here, fantasticgeek at gmail.com. First one up here from John Stewart, who, by the way, Pete, is emailing because he's moved away from using Facebook. Uh, he says, my generally unfounded theory for the show is that there will be a villain who's trying to push back the social democratic order the Federation has spread in their region of space. Through a shadowy network, this space Putin has pushed discontent and mobilized a building resentment among uh, less than completely organic life like former Borg and various androids. Picard will ultimately discover this problem and use his wisdom and moral clarity to help fight it. I imagine the villain is some sort of incompletely rebuilt Romulan star empire, just as the Russian Federation is a sort of diminished uh, Soviet Union. Uh, Pete John goes on to uh, mention that he listened to our uh, our Phantom Menace podcast, which uh, is over there on uh, on our Patreon page. Uh, but uh, your thoughts there, Pete, that the Romulans that we see now uh, stand in for the current Russian uh, regime. And uh, John taking himself away from Facebook, where the bots are now, it's all coming into view, Matt. Uh, next email, Pete, from our our most supreme pal, Ian uh, Zort.co.uk, of course, uh, his wonderful website there. He says, hope you are both well and enjoying 2020 so far. Some thoughts on Picard, the first of which can probably be expressed by a very hearty squee. The nostalgia factor is a huge draw, obviously, and with what we have seen so far, I think they've done a great job in updating the aesthetic of the earthbound Star Trek world to move it on, but keep the spirit of the next generation and the wider modern Star Trek context. Talking of which I saw some complain because there were chairs, just like we use today in the lab. I'm not sure even in the 24th century that simple chairs will have evolved into some sort of technological <laughs> marvel. Pete, I'll mention parenthetically uh, off of Ian's comment here. And yeah, there's also people with zippers and buttons. I just imagine that it's very retro. It's it, it's retro right. chic at the end of the 24th century yes. to have buttons. You know. Oh, you have chairs. They have legs. <laughs> exactly. Uh, back to Ian's words here. As to the plot, I can't wait to see more. The only thing I would like to comment on is the treatment of Dodge. A fairly brutal introduction, a quick bonding moment with Picard, then covered with acid and blown up. 
oh, it's okay, there's another one, so don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, maybe that will be addressed later. Maybe she was made some sort of nanobot material that will regenerate. Maybe she was transported out of the attackers. Dead or not for me, it was a rather heavy-handed way of introducing us to the concept of Data's daughters. Anyway, I look forward to your thoughts, the thoughts of others over the next few weeks. Regards, Ian. So, Pete, your thoughts on uh, the Dodge switch. I don't think anybody saw it coming that she was going to be dead before the end of the episode. No, no. And um, the idea here, you know, we bond almost as quickly as Picard does with Issa Briones. And granted, um, Allison Pill as uh, Dr. Gerardi gets billing before this newcomer but i I think we all have the sense that isa brignones is going to be somebody to be reckoned with i mean her character already is can't wait to see more of soji and figure out what's going on beneath the surface there next email from our pal bob that's robert keely phd pete let's not forget the man worked hard for his degree uh hi matt and pete i finally this morning got to watch the debut of picard that's this morning, Pete, look, busy guy. He watched it within 36 hours of it dropping in the United States, uh, maybe 48. That, that's A-OK. Uh, Bob says, I had stayed spoiler-free about this show. I watched one of the early trailers but had not dived into any of the information that was out there on what to expect, partly by choice and partly because the business of my life right now did not permit it. My expectations, therefore, were based entirely on what I hoped the show would be, an opportunity for us to see Patrick Stewart at his best, thoughtful, articulate, measured. I wanted to see an older Picard, someone whose wisdom was seasoned seasoned with age, someone who would be pulled out of retirement, not by lots of action, but by a puzzle that he could not resist. I wanted to explore the character of Jean-Luc in a way that would grab my attention and allow me to get to know him better. It wasn't important that I get new information on him, although I clearly would have to, I wanted to be with him, like visiting an old friend. I did not want TNG 2. I wanted something else. I saw the headline of the pan from Entertainment Weekly, so I wondered what that meant. It turns out that it meant that I got exactly what I wanted out of the premiere. I don't know what the reviewer expected. Perhaps I'll go back and try and find the review. But I found the episode to be delightful, from the Blue Skies callback of the last time we saw Jean-Luc to the way they used flashbacks with Data. I like the couple who care for Jean-Luc at his vineyard and the characters of Dodge and her twin sister. This episode has laid the groundwork for a wonderful story that I'm looking forward to seeing unfold. Delightful way to start a Saturday morning after a very busy week. In short, I thoroughly enjoyed the episode and I'm looking forward to seeing where this season takes us. As always, thanks for watching along with me. I look forward to hearing your analysis of this episode. Blessings, Pete, from Bob. Typically thoughtful there and uh yeah i i I read that review and i i would caution anybody of going to look for it because it does mention uh things in the next two episodes but um really there's there's a kicking over sand castles quality to the review and the best of criticism is you know looking at what you have and evaluating only that. And and this feels like clickbait from a once weekly, now monthly magazine. Pete, let's now move to the communique sent to us from across the other side of the world. It of course sent to us by Grand Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. 
Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 1, Episode 1. I hadn't expected to be so quickly back into the Fantastic Geek realm after an intensive December month with a whole season of Runaways, The Mandalorian, two Star Trek short tracks, or even later one in January, a third one, The Rise of Skywalker. But here I am, back to base, back to Fantastic Geek. Nice that you are willing to wait an extra day for feedback, because that gives me and other European people to give feedback for Fantastic Geek. And we can watch it here via Amazon Prime, whereas Discovery was via Netflix. I think it's a little strange, but you probably will have an explanation for that. Okay, about the episode. Let's start with criticism and nitpicks, so we have that out of the way. First criticism I was not completely satisfied with the acting of our Sir Patrick. So some examples in the beginning when he is playing cards with Data, I think it was sometimes a little overacted, especially the sentence, let's behave as civilized man, was a bit overacted. And also in the interview, there were some some phrases, some stuff that was a little overacted. Furthermore, I wonder if he is really out of breath when he goes up the stairs to that roof or that they make him, because Patrick Stewart is quite in good shape, they make him an extra little bit older than he really is or less fit than he really is. Also with his cane, I never saw him walk with a cane, so they make him a little less fit than the actor really is. And of course, we shouldn't forget, this year Sir Patrick will become 80. Very strange was the scene when Dash arrives at Chateau Picard and she is all stressed and Picard just accepts her and lets her talk and the real introduction, who are you and what are you doing here, they just skip and he actually asks who she is much, much later. I found that a little unreal. Another thing is not perhaps even a nitpick, but I just wonder. So if Darge is somehow Data's daughter and he created her and he programmed her some way and put these thoughts of Picard into her brain, then it is strange that it's an old Picard and not a Picard of, let's say, 15 years ago when he created her. Of course, there is a lot of very nice cinematography For instance, the vineyard, looking down on it from Picard's room. For instance, the shot of the greater area of Boston. And then the shot from sea towards the Science Institute. What I liked, of course, is to tie in into older Star Trek TNG stories. Some people had done some predictions that Maddox's story would tie in here. And it really did very much amazed about that the Romulan restoration facility is in an old Borg cube. I did like the acting of Brand Spiner a lot, every little movement he makes, the way he speaks and how he pauses in his speech is really perfect if you compare it to some 20-30 years ago. So in general very nice, I give it for now an 8 out of 10. 
and will finish my feedback here, otherwise it really gets too long. Greets, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Was always shout out to the United Federation of Planets over there in the Netherlands. And Fred, uh, I'll tackle the Amazon Prime um, Netflix thing. They sold the rights to different streaming services outside of the United States. And this enables so much of the budget for each show. Um, is it signs of a fractured international streaming picture? Well, I just think it's monetization of a, of a property that uh, people want to watch. It's kind of streaming detente, you know, Netflix might pull out of Discovery after season three. That's not going to bring the whole international Star Trek house of cards, no pun right. intended, tumbling down. It's just going to be, oh, you know, Amazon, you want to pick it up? Or if we have to self-fund, at least we're doing one show and not two, blah, 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 that kind of thing. Pete Fred mentioning Picard uh, hesitating slightly while climbing the stairs. I took that just as a reminder. Time moves by for us all. I think the episode needed to have... Uh, enough moments not just you know we all wake up tired usually we all roll out of bed oh you have to throw aside the curtains i think you know midpoint of the episode somebody said we need to just really remind everybody that it's not 1991 the picard is not in his 40s or 50s uh picard is in his mid to late 70s and he needs to kind of have a have a moment reflecting that that age and i think the cane is a chateau picard type of thing i mean he's out there on some some rolling hills with the dog for all we know it's some kind of futuristic pooper scooper as well so there you go in the star trek future pete dogs don't do that it's um, beamed away the moment they go <laughs> uh and Fred, where it's beamed to probably not mars uh, it, it, into the replicator pete t or gray t cap <laughs> oh no well, Pete, it's all just molecules bouncing around the universe. Anyhow, Fred, with that measured eye of his, commented on the lovely cinematography and, uh, of course, a whole team making that possible. But a reminder here of the steady hand of director Honolly Culpepper, who, does, uh, who has directed this episode as well as next week's uh, outing. Yeah, and, you know, this was her first pilot. I had come across uh, some of her other work and, you know, it just pops across the screen. And she really, really was the right choice, particularly with the action uh, involved in this pilot episode. Well, Pete, the action of our pilot podcast made possible by everyone who supports us on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. We are so blessed to have people helping out, especially this time of year with the uh, the costs coming home to roost for storage and bandwidth and all of that techno technical stuff that, you know, it takes a dodge. We have an army of dodges, Pete, <laughs> helping us out there. So thanks to everyone. Yes, everybody who contributes to patreon.com slash fantastic geek gets exclusive podcast content. It takes just a dollar a month to get you in that door. All sorts of levels and freebies to check out there. Can't contribute this month? Get yourself to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review like JTA and Jay Killen, who incidentally will be entered into our Picard facepalm uh bust a think geek exclusive that we're going to be raffling away in next week's podcast so get your review in before then on february 1st and pete all sorts of goodies there on the patreon page one though is a freebie that's talking to you on twitter how can people do so 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-11,099. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, can I get one more? Uh, follower. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be touch the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there is more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, we can't wait until the next episode of Picard, that of course, episode 102. Can't wait to be back next Saturday. My goodness, Pete, the first Saturday of February as time marches by. We all have our own stairs. Dodge, please help. Uh, but with that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I don't want the game to end. 